You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. On today's Viva podcast, we'll be discussing laser safety considerations with laser utilization. With us is Dr. Scott Benjamin, an expert on the topic, arguably the brightest and most knowledgeable person you can talk to when it comes to dental lasers. Dr. Benjamin is in private practice in upstate New York and has faculty appointments at several universities. He is the chairman of the ADA Standards Committee Working Group on Dental Lasers, a past president of the Academy of Laser Dentistry. Scott, it's great to have you back on Dental Talk. Phil, it's a pleasure being here. My first question is, how are laser safety standards developed? The laser safety standards are developed as part of the American National Standards Institute, which is oftentimes referred to as ANSI. And the ANSI committee that is that is directly responsible, and I happen to be the dental representative on it, is the, is the subcommittee Z136. And that is broken off into several different um, subcommittees that are focused in different areas, everywhere from outdoor laser light shows to um, lasers in the commercial environment to things that are a little bit more relevant to us in dentistry is the lasers in healthcare, the laser safety in healthcare, laser safety in the in the educational institution. And we also have our parent document, the Z136.1, which is basically an encyclopedia that mm-hmm. defines how various things are referred to. How do we measure wavelength? How do we measure power? What is the maximum permissible exposure? Those type of, of things. So all the other subcommittees are basically refer back to that document. So every practice that is incorporated in laser should have a copy of at least the Z136.1, the safe and effective use of lasers, and the the document Z136.3, both by the ANSI committee on the safe and effective use of lasers in healthcare. So let me ask you this, Scott, what are the primary safety concerns that need to be addressed by a practice? When considering laser safety, the number one concern that we all have is the potential of damaging biological tissue, most importantly, the eye. And so the the beam hazards that are that occur with lasers is something that becomes the number one issue. Um, the secondary issues we have are non-beam hazards, which refer more to um, the the vapors that are being created, referred to as laser-generated airborne contaminants, oftentimes referred to as surgical smoke, um, and that type of or the laser plume. And that type of of consideration is minor for us in the dental office because we're very used to using high-speed evacuation for everything that we do. However, in other concerns in the medical world, that is something that is is oftentimes overlooked. It's very important that, that the clinicians understand whenever that we're using a laser, we have to make sure we're doing it in a safe and effective manner. So the two primary concerns we have are beam hazards and respiratory hazards. Well, the beam hazard is what happens when that light energy um, actually strikes a target as far as how does that target respond. And protecting the eye is the number one issue. We do know that depending on the wavelength of the laser, it has the effect of damaging various structures of the eye. And as I often say, what part of your eye is not valuable to you? 
Right. So one of the things that you, that a clinician needs to be aware of when they're buying a laser is what is the appropriate type of eyewear that is required and referred to as, as laser protective eyewear for that particular wavelength or today wavelengths of lasers. As more and more lasers are coming out with multiple wavelengths in them, the, the eyewear has become more and more of an issue. And so the first thing you have to consider is what is the appropriate amount of protection? And that'll be listed with the optical density. Mm -hmm. In other words, the filtration, how much of that wavelength is being filtered out. And it differs from lasers to laser to laser. And it's very specific for the wavelength that that laser is generated. Is there some, um, is there some universal eye protection for both the patient and the clinician that covers the, broad, the whole array of wavelengths? Or do you have to have separate eye protection? No. For wavelengths above 950 nanometers, there is, there is very good eyewear that basically can cover everything above that with a very high amount of visible light transmission. In other words, it takes out the invisible, the near-infrared and the mid-infrared light that's coming through, but allows the visible light to still pass through. Mm -hmm. When you get below 950, suddenly we're again now creeping into the visible light spectrum and those lasers have those lasers you have to have um, special protection and laser protective eyewear needs to be appropriately marked and identified for what the filtration is for the various wavelengths and you will find that there are various filters out there that will cover a gamut and so one of the first things that a clinician needs to do with the eye protection is to determine what is the appropriate filtration that is required and how does this work with their environment if they're using magnification, which I encourage all clinicians to do all procedures with magnification, um, it becomes very important. Now, with microscopes, there are filters that go into the microscope itself. So one of the concerns that you want to have as you're doing this is a matter of the more the higher your magnification the more important filtration becomes not less and unfortunately very commonly sales reps will tell us what we want to hear mm -hmm. rather than the scientific truth and so it's very important that the clinician when they're looking to acquire a a laser look at the safety recommendations what is the what is the eyewear requirement that is required to be listed in their owner's manual. And they should be looking at that before they buy their device, not afterwards. Right. And all too, all too often, we're finding that has gotten to be the issue, is they don't understand the problem that that creates when that's occurring. So how is the nominal hazard zone, the danger zone, determined and managed? The nominal hazard zone is, uh, again, which is, which is listed, it's, it's the distance between where the laser energy is being admitted and where the maximum permissible exposure is is below what is deemed dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it's determined by the wavelength of the laser, the power of the laser, and the divergence of the beam. There is actually one laser that is used in dermatology that that distance, believe it or not, is approximately 280 kilometers, which is 129 miles. So a laser, so a laser like that needs to be, be used in a room that can be completely isolated. Do you, do, you, do you think it's the reason why um, you mentioned in an earlier podcast, one third of the dentists 
have a laser, whether it's, it's mostly a soft tissue laser probably, right? Do you think these issues with the hazard zone, the eyewear protection, and the high level of education is that, and especially they didn't learn this in dental school, is that keeping dentists from adopting this more quickly? It should be a concern. Unfortunately, most of, of the clinicians are not aware of this until afterwards. The state of Arizona actually comes in and inspects to make sure that, and the state of Texas inspects to make sure that lasers are being used in a safe and effective manner. Right. Various other states do not have at the present time, and we know that that is changing rapidly, that more and more states are looking to go in and enforce laser utilization and inspect lasers very similar to what is being done in the radiology world with ionizing radiation of our x-ray machines, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Are you surprised? You've been in laser education for many years. You, you've seen many iterations of the advancements of laser equipment. Are you surprised personally that it hasn't uh, adopted more quickly? And I mean, not that it's dentists aren't using it, but it's not in every practice. It's not as prevalent as you would have thought. I think laser utilization is addicting. Mm -hmm. I think that, we, you know, because of the, the investment that doctors have to make, they aren't sure that that investment is worthwhile. Once they see the benefit that it brings to their practice, laser utilization, and as you mentioned, typically a, a clinician will come in with a with a inexpensive soft tissue laser and either be a very excited what it can do or be very turned off with the limitations. And this is why selecting the appropriate device becomes important with the idea that many of the inexpensive lasers that are on the market have very limited effects of what they can do and have minimal uh, results in the type of outcomes that they're expecting. If there's one thing that's holding lasers back more than anything else, mm -hmm. it's going to be the over-promising of the sales reps and then under-delivering of the product. And when right. a clinician understands what that product will truly do and use it for where it's very good at, just like there's not one bird that can prep every restoration we need to do, mm -hmm. there's not one laser that can perform all the procedures. Right. In your, office, of, in your office, though, you do integrate the laser into your hygiene treatment? In my office, the laser is integrated in, in all aspects of my practices, everywhere from enhancing the healing using photobiomodulation to pocket decontamination being done by my hygienist to soft tissue surgery being done by myself, the endodontic procedures being done in the endodontic environment, um, to literally prepping hardened hard tissues, both osseous recontouring and, and dental restorations. So, you, so you, again, I, you couldn't live without a laser in your practice at this point? I, I wouldn't practice without a laser today because wow. I'm not capable of doing the quality of dentistry that my patients deserve without one. But again, it's but it's still it's know. still considered an adjunct though. It's still as much as you depend on it, it's still an adjunct to treatment. It's it's yes and no. I mean, I don't consider lasers as an adjunct. I consider it as a very important part. But again, just because we have a new modality in our practice doesn't mean we we throw our old modalities away. It's using the right device in the right situation to develop the appropriate outcome. Right. So for, for, for many dentists, it should be a good investment if they have a thriving practice to implement a laser, knowing that they're not going to use it for every procedure, but it could improve uh, the predictability of clinical outcomes in the way you describe it. They should look into it seriously. 
a very and there's probably nothing that has a greater return on the money than a soft tissue laser. Okay, so that's a good that's a good point. So when they do these procedures, these are all billable procedures, obviously with with uh, billing codes and so forth. Well, the idea is clinicians are going to be expanding the the procedures that they're doing and doing them in a much more efficient manner. A phrenectomy in my practice is about a five minute long procedure mm -hmm. with the idea with with a minimal amount of local anesthetic and in many cases being done with just strictly topical. Being able to go in and, and perform these procedures in a in a really quick and, ef and efficient manner. I literally have not packed retraction cord around the crown in 20 years hmm. because of the ability to control the soft tissue related to my to my restorative dentistry whether it's direct or indirect with a laser really has facilitated the ease of placing my direct restorations because i don't have to worry about contamination coming from um, various types of body fluids seeping in and secondly being able to with especially my digital impressions being able to go in and what i see is what i get and that's the whole idea. It's the efficiency that that brings forward. And the idea, the, the, the thing that's difficult for many clinicians is that you don't see a bottom line of a laser-generated X amount of income. Mm -hmm. and, and that makes it very difficult for doctors to sit back and look at the ROI that, that comes with, um, with laser utilization because they, they don't see the amount of time that, that they're saving. There's a procedure that I teach in my courses where we actually have greatly reduced the need for graft surgery by in, intervening earlier in the process um, and being able to actually regenerate attached gingiva without having the patient go through a major graft surgery, where in the past we waited until it was so severe that the only way to do it was to harvest tissue from the heart palate and transplant it over the area of, of recession or whatever. Which is and very, so the, very uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a very uncomfortable process for the well, patient. I make, I make the joke of most patients will only have that done to them once. So <laughs> that's not a joke to the patient, that's for sure. That, but that's exactly it, that the, the effect to the patient of that occurring is, is extremely, you know, the, the amount of discomfort to the hard palate. Mm -hmm. And it isn't so much the, the surgical site as it is the donor site, as we all know, that causes the discomfort. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So getting back to the safety issue, we, you know, we hear about laser safety officer. Who should be the laser safety officer, commonly referred to as the LSO for the practice, and, and what is their role? Well, the role of the LSO is to make sure that all the appropriate safety precautions and government regulations, the, that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, to make sure that the laser is being used in a safe and effective manner. Now, does the laser safety officer have to be a dentist or a hygienist or anybody with, I'll call it, formalized training as far as university-based, and the answer is no. Now, the laser safety officer should have formalized laser safety training. Very commonly, it is a clinical auxiliary now, in states that are requiring that the laser safety officer registers with the state, I encourage that the owner dentist of the practice be is the one who registers as the laser safety officer and has the appropriate knowledge and training. And then he delegates the duties off to his deputy laser safety officer, one of the auxiliaries, and that the, that the owner doctor then in turn oversees to make sure everything is being done properly. Mm -hmm. And the duties of the laser safety officer come down to making sure that everybody is appropriately trained and educated 
within the practice themselves. And that education only needs to be what their exposure is. Right. When it comes to your front desk person, what do they need to know about laser safety? That when a laser is being utilized, not to enter the, the operatory without putting on the appropriate eye protection or just to stay out of it completely. But they need to be aware that that is a potential danger for them. Mm-hmm. Our dental assistants need to know how to go in and reprocess the machine and to, and to do the appropriate evacuation during the procedure. That is an extremely, extremely important concept to them. And then those of us that are using the laser to perform procedures, dentists and hygienists in the states where hygienists are allowed to use it, need to know all of that, plus in turn how to how to operate the device in a safe and effective manner to attain the outcomes that we're looking for. Right. And so the role of the laser safety officer is to make sure that all of these are in place and to periodically inspect the, the device and its, and its accessories to make sure that they're functioning properly and in good repair, um, that the eyewear that are being worn is appropriate. And again, in a practice like mine where we have a dozen different lasers, that the right laser protective eyewear stays with the right machine. Thanks, Dr. Benjamin, for another great podcast. Uh, we appreciate you joining us for Dental Talk, and this was excellent information about laser safety, and we'll see you shortly, hopefully, on a future podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for the invitation, and as always, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to share information with our fellow colleagues.